This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, uh, how did you guys get through Easter? I know it can be a difficult time for people. Well, I think it's a difficult time for me personally and for you because my brother died a minute before Easter. Now, we always, you know, that's that's what it said in the police report. He died in a car accident. Most of you, our, our listeners know that. When he was 17, he and my cousin died together the minute before Easter. But uh, we were told, we kind of thought and were told that, you know, oftentimes they change those times for family members so that the death is not on a holiday. Remember that, Mom? Yeah, I exactly. I remember that early on. Yeah. So uh, we always thought it was odd because we weren't sure if he died actually on Easter or the minute before. But in his police report, in, in the report it is right before Easter. Right. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a bittersweet time, even though it was a different date. I always think of Scott on Easter. Right. It was April 2nd, and Easter uh, didn't fall on that day this year. So you're right. We kind of end up thinking uh, those thoughts on two different holidays. So, And, you know, for those out there that are early in their grief, I'm going to tell you my brother has been, been dead for over 20 years. And the thing about it is you don't get over the person that died. You still love them, but you get over the pain. I am in a very, very different place than people that are early on in their grief. And I think that's kind of an important message because when you first have the loss, you are in such intense pain that you kind of can't visualize your life outside of that very painful, bad space. And sometimes it's helpful to look at people like my mom and me further down the road and say, wait a minute, they're not in the same place I'm in. Yeah, and we we like to remind you kind of our little uh, tagline or motto is, if you've lost hope, lean on ours until you find your own. So, Heidi, we have got a great guest today, and I know it's uh, a friend of yours, and she has done such wonderful work in the area of grief and loss, and I'm excited to have her on. Would you like to introduce her? I'm so honored to have this woman on. She she teaches at the School of Social Work, and I am at Columbia University, and I'm an adjunct there. And her name is Dr. Catherine Shear, and she is an international leader in the grief and loss world um, and a wonderful person. She is the Marion Kenworthy Professor of Psychiatry at Columbia University School of Social Work and Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. She is also director of the Complicated Grief Treatment Program at the New York State Psychiatric Institute. Dr. Shear helped identify the syndrome called complicated grief. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thanks so much, Heidi. It's really, it's really an honor and a pleasure to be talking with you and Gloria. It's great to have you on. Well, talk to us a little bit. We've heard a lot about um, uh, complicated grief, and I'm out there. I've had a loss, and I'm having all these, um, con- you know, feelings. And how how do I know when it's quote what what would you call it normal grief or uh, complicated? Well, Heidi, the the main thing I think that's different between complicated grief and, and I guess, normal grief, if we want to call it that, because as, as um, Heidi just said, grief ordinarily is very, very, very painful, you know, depending on who dies and how they die and when they die, it can be just the most excruciatingly painful experience that any of us ever has, and so it certainly isn't, um, it isn't something wrong or um, 
you know, or, or worrisome in a sense to to be in that place where you can't visualize your life being okay again, as Heidi was saying earlier. At the same time, um, there is something about the that that very intense pain that contains within it a kind of a kind of process that um, we call the mourning process. Actually, that 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 takes it somewhere else. And as um, there's a, there's a woman, Kay Redfield Jameson, who is someone. He, she's a psychologist who has bipolar disorder, and she lost her husband with whom she had a really, really strong, positive relationship a number of years ago, and she, she wrote a book recently called Nothing Was the Same, and one of the points that she, she makes in that book is that grief has a purpose, and when you're in the middle of it, you may not realize that, but its purpose really is, in a certain way, to connect you even more strongly with the person who died, but at the same time, to put that relationship in a different place, to, in a sense, feed it more deeply in your heart and take it out of your everyday life in the, in the way that it has been and, um, and is during acute grief. Wow, that's a wonderful way to put that, that it isn't. Uh, the grief is something... Uh, I, we had somebody on recently who was talking about uh, grief as being a positive thing, Heidi. I can't remember who it was. But um, it was a great way to look at it, right? And it's, it's a positive thing because it's it's um, it really is a component of our love. I mean, there's just no getting around it. That you know, sooner or later, either we're going to lose someone we love, or they're going to lose us. And so, it, it, you know, I mean, I guess occasionally we die together, but mostly we don't. And so, it's really a an intrinsic part of that of that love. Of the, the love itself. So how how do I know if I'm out there um, and I'm uh, you know m- missing? Well, I had someone call me recently and said uh, this: My son uh, died a year ago. He was a physician and he uh, accidentally overdosed. And it was a year ago. And the people at work are telling me that I need to uh, get some help. Because what happens is I can go to work, this woman's a master teacher, but when I go home, I cry. And people can't, can't deal with that. They say it's wrong. So, you know, it, it, it becomes a little tricky to say when, so, so what's different about complicated grief is that, that the positive aspects, the purpose of grief is, is kind of lost. It's, it's kind of derailed. And usually it's derailed. Well, let me explain what derails it. So, so grief, um, basically the mourning process is a process of fully acknowledging the finality and consequences of a loss and basically revising our way of envisioning the future so that we can once again um, feel that there's meaning and purpose in life and that life has a possibility of joy and satisfaction even though this person is gone. And in the beginning, that seems impossible. But the process is one of gradually finding a way to, to, um, to come to terms with the loss and to restore our own lives. And no one knows exactly 
exactly how that, no two people, you know, it's almost trite to say it, but no two people do go through this process exactly the same, any more than any two people fall in love in the same way. However, there is usually some, some progress that's made over period, a period of time. And we don't have a lot of information about how long that period of time kind of should be. I mean, some people say there's no period of time that you can define at all. But my own view is that, in fact, there is some period of time. Is it six months? Is it a year? Is it two years? I, I can't answer that. I know that people have different opinions about that. Um, the data that exists suggests that if at six months after at least a spousal loss, um, you're still feeling really, really caught up in, a, in that very intense pain where you can't even see the, the slightest glimmer of a hope that things can be different, that the likelihood is that, that two years later you're going to still be in the same place. So that, you know, that's really what we base our current kind of estimate on. So, um, well, one of the things, I don't know what your comment will be on this, but one of the things that we found with child loss, um, just uh, anecdotally being talking to thousands of people, is that sometimes the second year can be worse than the first. And I, I think uh, someone said it well. They said the first year you grieve for your child and the second year you grieve for yourself. And the first year you're in so much shock that you can hardly deal with it. The second year you start thawing out a little bit and starting to realize, oh, my gosh, this is going to be my life. And, and you feel like you're regressing. And that's the fear, that there's a regression there, that you're going crazy. And I, I thought I was progressing along, you know, day to day, uh, going through each holiday and all that. But suddenly I'm lapsing. Okay, so I think that's that, that's a really really good point, and um, and I think the issue of lapsing and what seems like it's going backwards is one that does get people kind of frightened, and it's it's part of the problem because because what you said is that this is a person who has been feeling like they're progressing, like there is you know like they're kind of grappling with this, coming to terms with it, and and um, and that's a process, and that you know. And then all of a sudden they go through a period where they feel like that's not happening, like you're, they're back at square one again. And, mm-hmm. um, and that is not what we're talking about. So the people who have complicated grief, basically they don't have that feeling, I'm progressing. They don't have that feeling, you know, I'm beginning to grapple with this. They just feel caught up. And most of them are caught up in something like um, what, what we call the if onlys. Mm-hmm. call it some kind of counterfactual thinking. So rather than really grappling with this, they, they would, you know, and if I could use your situation since you mentioned it as, a, as an example, if only um, my brother or my son had not gone out driving that day, if only mm-hmm. I had told him to stay home, if that's all you were thinking of, or every time you tried, you know, every time your mind went to the accident, you started thinking, oh my gosh, if only... If only he hadn't gotten his driver's license. If only he had been, you know, you, you know how it goes. I mean, and we all right. have those thoughts. It's a question of whether that's what's really on your mind or whether you're, you're able to say, well, you know, that's maybe natu- a natural wish, but it's, it's not the way it, it was and it's not the way it's going to be. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to 
grapple with this in some way. That's very different, and the pain is still going to be very intense, but you're but you're working with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I heard uh, I saw something by Stephen Hawking on time travel, and it made me think of grief and loss because he said we will never go back in time. We will. He believes that there will be time travel forward. He goes through his whole thing, but he said if you um, go back in time, if you listen to a jazz band or whatever, and you start hearing feedback on the microphone, he said, you know what happens if uh, you don't stop that feedback? It blows the whole system. And I thought about that with grief and loss. You can't keep going back with the feedback in the old system. It'll blow it. Right. Well, well, you're almost getting in this obsessive thing where you keep replaying it like a broken record over and over and over in your head. And you're, you're and kind you're of stuck. Right. So, and, and what I'm talking about, I don't know if this is, this, that could, maybe you're talking about the same thing, but I'm saying it's not only replaying it, but it's also replaying it in a, you know, a counterfactual way, in an if-only way. Right. It's even worse. So, yeah. yeah. That, that you could yeah. have changed history yourself. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, treatments. If I feel like I am in that desperate place, I'm not moving forward, that kind of thing. Uh, I, how do you know I've talked about light treatments before? Do you know anything about those, or do you have any interest in that? Light treatment has been used for depression, and actually that brings up the question of whether grief is depression. And I don't know if you want to... Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so so it's very important to recognize that at least if you're talking to a mental health professional, grief is not depression. Depression is a very specific, um, a very specific condition, and it's associated with certain kind. We now know we you know there's been a lot of neuroscience um, attention paid to depression at this point, and we know something about the depression circuitry in the brain, and it's not the same as grief. And, you know, there's been recently in the popular press, there's been a lot of confusion about this, where um, there's been discussion about the fact that if we, if we allow the diagnosis of what we call, in, 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 from a professional point of view, major depression, early on in the bereavement process, that means that what we're doing is we're trying to treat grief as though it were depression. But that's not mm. the case um, because grief and depression are different. And I let me just tell you the main differences because gr- depression is a... Great. Depression is a... Is, it is a mental disorder in which a person... A person's brain actually has activated circuits that can be deactivated, by the way, and not only by medication, but by psychotherapies. But they are activated, and when they are, they do three things that are very, very damaging to just ongoing life. One of them is they inhibit, these circuits inhibit positive emotions. So a person who's depressed doesn't experience positive emotions. The second thing is they bias our thinking the circuitry biases our thinking in a negative way. So if any small negative thing happens, it gets it gets kind of expanded upon. And whereas when we're not depressed, when a small negative thing happens, our brains automatically generate a sort of recovery thought. And even it even do that, there's now evidence that we do that even outside of our own awareness. We we kind of generate some positive emotions to counterbalance that. If you're depressed, instead, that becomes a slippery slope. So you have a negative thought, and you know the next thing you know, you have ten negative thoughts, and you're and the negative thoughts are growing in magnitude. So 
We have inhibition of positive emotions. We have biased negative thinking. And the third thing that depression does is that it interferes with our ability to engage with other people in any kind of, um, of sort of empathic and, and positive way. So, it, so it's hard to appreciate other people's efforts. We, we tend to be irritable with other people. And so it interferes with our relationships. And those three things, if they occur during grief, will really derail the mourning process because, in, you know, we need positive emotions. We need respite from that intense pain in order to continue that very, very difficult process. You can think of it almost as emotional nourishment. You need, a peri- you need some periods of emotional nourish- nourishment. And if you're depressed, you can't get them. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think that... Um People really need to look right at the way they were before the loss. And and Heidi always says something which I think is good. If your loved one walked in the room, how would you feel? That's a really good question. Exactly. And so if you so meaning if your loved one walked in the room and you would still feel bad about yourself, you would still feel mm-hmm. like you haven't given that person enough. You didn't you know you you wasted your life. I mean all kinds of things like that. Um, then you're depressed, right? Is that what you mean, Heidi? Right. right. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yes, and because a lot of people that I work with that are grieving say, you know what, if my son or my daughter or my sibling walked into the room, I would feel elated. I would feel great. My sadness is all around wanting them back in my life. And that's not depression, and we don't want to treat that as depression. So what happens, I know um, a friend of mine who teaches at Stanford, his uh, mother, a 90-year-old mother, uh, his dad died, and his 90-year-old mother, who had never, you know, had any psychiatric treatment or anything, went to the family physician, and he gave her a prescription for antidepressants. My friend was so angry, her son, who's a psychiatrist, he was absolutely infuriated that that this would happen. And And I said, well, why do you think it happened, David? And he said... I think because he felt so bad for my mom and he really wanted her to leave with something. Maybe what he felt was so bad for your mom that he was depressed himself and he should have taken the antidepressant himself. Actually, you know, what you raised, just, just uh, really quickly, I think we need mm-hmm. to educate family doctors. We need to educate actually mental health professionals sometimes get confused about this. So it's not mm-hmm. only, I, I think a lot of people are confused but there, you know, once you, as you do, you know, once you work with people and you pay attention to what grief is, it's not confusing because it's very different. It's not depression. And I guess it's time to close our show, so I want to give our folks something out there um, that they can think about now. They feel like uh, they figured that they are depressed, or that they're, uh, and then they may have decided it's normal grief. What were you going to say, Heidi? I was just going to say um, for people out there that are feeling like they may have complicated grief, is there a place that they can go to get help? Well, we do have, um, in New York City, we have a program at Columbia, at New York State Psychiatric Institute, where people can call and get help, or they can go onto the internet, it's www.complicatedgrief.org, and actually from there we can also make referrals to several centers that now exist across the country, in Boston, in Pittsburgh, in San Diego, and, you know, we can talk to people if they're from different places than that, there are also um, places that they can get help. There are many grief counselors now who have a very good idea of what complicated grief is and are starting to work with it, I think, in some very effective ways. 
Great. And they can go to the uh, ADAC website, Association of Death Educators, uh, has a list of therapists there. So, well, that is great to know that that's available. And can they be in your study, Kathy? Are you still taking people for your study? We are still, absolutely, we are still taking. We have two ongoing studies, and we're definitely still very happy to work with people. And is that all across the United States, or do you have to live in the uh, metro, uh, New York metropolitan area? One of the studies does take place only in the New York metropolitan area, and the other one is across the country, but only in specific locations, so it can't be just anywhere. That's, that would be Boston, Pittsburgh, and San Diego. And give us that site again. That would be www.complicatedgrief.org. So if you live in the, one of those areas and you feel like you or one of your family members has complicated grief, uh, please get in touch with them because uh, they have some wonderful interventions. Um, Heidi and I have been reading those, and we are very impressed with some of the things that we're doing, and we hope uh, one of these days we'll tell you more about those interventions, and uh, hopefully someday we can, Catherine through her, will bring them out to the world, some of the things that can be done. So thank you so much, Kathy, for being on the show today, and thank you so much for all the wonderful work you're doing. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks, Kathy. Well, you've been listening to the Open to Hope show, and Kat, isn't Kathy great, Heidi? She's she's wonderful. I love I. Absolutely, I'm so pro what she's doing. And I want to tell everybody out there, you don't need to know, for our listeners, you don't need to know if you have complicated grief. If you feel like you have prolonged grief and you're stuck and you're in a place where you're just feeling like there's absolutely no progress at all, you can contact her center and speak with someone and they can help you figure out, okay, are you somebody that would be a good fit for the study? So for those of you out there, just know that. That's that they will they will speak with you and let you know where to go from here. Absolutely. So uh, again, thanks for being on the show today, and we hope that things are going well for you, and that again that you will lean on our hope till you find your own. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Doctors Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.